the story of Matthew ends with this king who suffers and dies and then conquers even death. And he comes to his people and gives them a purpose. He says, all authority has been given to me. Because I am the king over everything, I reign and I rule and I have all authority. Let me give you a purpose. Go and make disciples. Go and tell the whole world of this good news that I have overcome even death and this kingdom is here. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you today and once again to have heat restored to this place. So for those of you who suffered through the cold last week, thank you. For those of you who are visiting, I know this morning we have some friends from Omaha, Nebraska. We have some friends from Minneapolis or St. Paul, I'm not sure which, but Minnesota. And I know we have a whole bunch of friends from our neighborhood around the corner, from all over Knoxville, and even friends joining us online. So wherever you're coming from, I'm glad you're here today. Today we are beginning a new sermon series, one about the Gospels. Anybody ever heard about the Gospels before? And you're like, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to look at each different gospel each week and explore what is this story all about and how do we read it in such a way that we experience Jesus and all of his goodness and his love. Now, in order to get into the gospels, I have to begin with this little preface. I'm not a literature expert, but I really, really like a good story. Anybody in here like a good story? I love a story that has a surprise ending I'm not expecting, or maybe one that leaves me feeling something I wasn't prepared for. So a couple of years ago, you can imagine how much I enjoyed this story from my oldest son. He was maybe four, and you know how little kids are. When they tell stories, they omit certain details, and they maybe pick up on other details you hadn't figured out, or... They're animated and they share with such joy, it just makes every boring story that much better. And he proceeded to tell the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. Anybody know how that story goes? So he he starts to tell this story and he shares all about the three pigs and one made a house out of straw and one out of sticks and one out of bricks. And I was like, okay, and then what happened? And then comes conflict. The big bad wolf shows up and the big bad wolf, he's terrible. My son, really animated, tells me all about how this wolf is going to huff and puff and blow the house down. And trying to be a good dad, engaging in the story, I said, oh no, and then what happens? He said, and he blowed the house down. I said, really? And what happened to the pig? He ate it all up. 
and I was not prepared for that ending. <laughs> See, all of the times I heard it, the pig ran away and things went well, but apparently my son has a much darker understanding of the story than me, or a bigger love for barbecue. <laughs> Today, as we engage in the story of the Gospels, there is a twist, an ending, that most people didn't see coming. But for you and I, in many times, in many cases, we have been told this story so many times that we forget the power of the surprise ending. We know what's coming and we lose sight of why it's so important. And so as we engage in these Gospels, as we prepare to hear them, I want to invite you into a whole new challenge. Imagine hearing this story for the very first time. What if you had no idea what was coming next? What would you be expecting or be prepared for? Now, as we get into the Gospels, uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to do a few different things. First, each week, we're going to share kind of an overview of the whole book. And then from that place, we're going to zoom into the, the main thing we want to focus on, all right? So that when you start reading these Gospels on your own, whether it's later today or throughout the week, you have kind of some broad picture understanding and also some very specific, what do I do with this? So here we go. The Gospel of Matthew, anybody know who it was written by? Absolutely. Trick question. We don't actually know, but for like 1,900 years, the church has attributed it to Matthew. Right? So it's most likely written by Matthew. If you don't know the story, Matthew was one of the disciples whom Jesus called. He was also called Levi, and he was a tax collector. And tax collectors were these really, really ugly, hated people. And I, I don't mean ugly because of the way they looked, but ugly because they were viewed as the betrayers. They were working for the man. They were working for that evil Roman empire and betraying their Jewish brothers. So tax collectors were not thought of highly. They were not welcomed by the religious elites. They were outsiders. And yet, Jesus sought out Matthew in his tax booth said, come and follow me. And he did. And he went on to be one of the disciples, one of the apostles, the leaders of the early church. He wrote this story to help us discover for years to come, who is this Jesus and why does he matter? So Matthew, he wrote specifically with one goal in mind, and that goal of Matthew's was to help us understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Anybody ever read the Old Testament and it's really confusing and sometimes the God of the Old Testament seems very different than the God of the New and, and you're like, I just don't really like that God, but Jesus, he's, he's pretty cool. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience to help them see that Jesus was not something altogether new. He wasn't replacing and abolishing and getting rid of the old and said he was the fulfillment of the old. Everything they had been anticipating and hoping for and desiring, they now find in Jesus. And Matthew, he begins to share the story by really focusing on how Jesus is the king that had once been promised. See, David, one of the kings of Israel, uh, several thousand years or like 1,500 years before Jesus, this king of Israel was desiring to honor God by building a temple a place where God would dwell with his people, a place where God would be present. And in a dream one night, God came to him and said, I don't want you to build a place for me. 
but I instead will build a house for you. And he gives this promise in 2 Samuel. He says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David was given this promise, and the people of Israel were longing for that king who would forevermore be established. If you don't know much about history, at the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the Jewish people are living under the oppressive rule of the Romans. Romans who worshipped other gods. Romans who had all kinds of culture and customs and practices that were far from their beliefs and their God. And they believed a king would come one day who would rescue them, who would set them free, who would deliver them to this glorious and wonderful kingdom better than the days before. And into that, Matthew writes this story. So a little bit about his structure. If you read literature, you know there's a, a, usually a structure and a flow, and there's a purpose. It's not just random thought put on paper. So here's his structure. There's a couple different viewpoints of how he was writing, but I'm just going to share one of them as one helpful way to read what's happening here. It begins in the first three chapters with an introduction. And he starts by sharing the genealogy of Jesus. Let me tell you that Jesus comes from David, and that's important because it was David's offspring who would become the king. So Matthew writes in such a way that he quotes the Old Testament frequently, especially in the very beginning, the very end. He's pointing to Jesus. This man is everything we've hoped for. So much more. So he introduces Jesus as this king who's coming, and after introducing him, Jesus begins his ministry in chapter 4 by announcing his kingdom has come. Now, if you were a Roman leader at the time, and somebody shows up on the scene and begins to announce that they are the new king, you would expect some conflict. So into the story, Matthew interjects, already there's two kingdoms at odds the kingdom they were living under, and this new kingdom Jesus begins to preach and teach and then model. And this kingdom he begins to introduce looks very little like the kingdom of this world. Now, one of the reasons that there's often thought to be five main sections throughout the Gospels of Matthew is because there are five times that Jesus throughout this section has a really long like preaching monologue. We're at the end of a little section. He concludes with teaching a whole bunch of stuff, and then it transitions to the next section. And with this, as Jesus comes teaching, the promise that Jesus is this Old Testament king goes a little bit more than that. For Matthew, as a Jewish man, he often tied together the narrative of Jesus with the narrative of Moses. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, Moses is the figure who came to the people of God when they were enslaved, and he promised them deliverance. And through Moses, they were rescued from slavery, miraculously brought out of this miserable life and into a new freedom, which they immediately grumbled and complained and said, we'd rather have been slaves than have this new blessing in life. Moses was this figurehead who provided them with the law. This is what God wants of you. 
And more importantly, these are the promises God has for you that He will be your God and you shall be His people. That He will be with you wherever you go. And throughout this story, Matthew portrays Jesus not only as that coming king, but as a new kind of Moses. A new one who will come to deliver and rescue his people, who will bring them out of slavery and into a new life that is so much better. And as Jesus begins telling people about his kingdom come, it doesn't look like they expect. In fact, often his kingdom is the opposite of what they're prepared for. So chapters 4 through 7 are focusing on his announcing God's kingdom is here. It's not in the future. It's not a thing you still have to wait for. Now, today, it's arrived. And then he continues with actually bringing that kingdom into the lives of people. And we see this through Matthew because Jesus says the kingdom of God will bring healing to those who are hurting. Those who are blind will have sight. Those who are deaf will speak. Those who are oppressed by demons will be set free. And after saying all these things, Jesus does it. He immediately begins to heal people and free them from demons. He immediately begins to give sight to the blind. And even later when people are hungry, he feeds them. In the same way that Moses, when people were hungry, cried out to God and God gave them manna. Food from heaven that literally means, what is this? Something new they were not prepared for. Jesus, he begins to bring this kingdom of God into their lives in a very real and tangible way. Sometimes, because we're 2,000 years removed from this story, we see Jesus doing these things, or we read about it, and we say, well, that's good for you, but what about me? Because I don't know about you, but most of the time, I'm not seeing Jesus on the streets healing the blind or the sick or the mute. I'm not seeing the dead get up and rise. I'm not seeing miraculous provisions of food. It's easy for me to read this story and say, that's just a story to tell a good point. Right? It's something fabricated, perhaps, to, to describe Jesus in this grandiose way. Now, Matthew, he wrote this story in about the late 50s or early 60s A.D., 25 to 35 years after Jesus' life. It's highly unlikely that a fabricated story about history that other people still living could attest to, yes, that's true, or no, that's not, it's highly unlikely to be made up. So what does it mean to hear the story of a kingdom come that has power, that heals those who are hurting? that sets free those who are oppressed. How does that change things? After he begins to bring this kingdom into the lives of people, you can imagine some people respond to it really well. They get excited and they want this kind of king who comes with power and might. And others respond a little bit less pleasantly. They hear Jesus forgiving the sins of people and they get irate. How dare you do such a thing? They see Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors like Matthew, and they say, how dare you do that? They see Jesus treating the law differently than they were prepared, eating on the Sabbath the food he plucked from the, the fields. How dare you, Jesus? 
And this response that Matthew portrays is a response of the people who some are eager and excited and willing to accept, you must be this long-awaited king. And others who say, surely you are just another troublemaker, causing problems, declaring things you can't follow through with, even blaspheming God. And you begin to see in the story of Matthew this wide division growing. Afterwards, as 11 through 13 portray these stories, I just want to focus on some of what makes people upset about his kingdom. You see, his kingdom was unlike what many were prepared for. And Jesus, he would teach in parables, which were stories that often used very real and tangible things to teach something much more complicated. Stories that would leave people confused. In Matthew chapter 13, he tells a couple of these parables. Here's a few of them, beginning in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven... So all that I'm preaching to you, all that I'm bringing for you, everything I'm doing, this kingdom is like a hidden fe- or treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, if you've been around the church much, have you ever heard this parable taught? Anyone heard about this parable? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. A man finds it, and then he buries it, and then he sells everything so he can have it. Have you ever heard about this treasure being about you and me and our pursuit of Jesus? Like, Jesus is this wonderful treasure. You should give everything up that you can have him. Jesus is excellent. You should desire everything about him, no matter the cost. Have you ever heard it preached like that? And yet... Surprise thing people weren't ready for? This has nothing to do with our response to Jesus. See, Jesus says, look, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Heaven, God's presence coming to be with us. This kingdom in which he reigns and rules and heals the sick and frees the oppressed. This kingdom where good news is preached to people. This kingdom where there is grace There is mercy. It's like a great treasure hidden in a field. See, for Jesus, as he's preaching this parable, what he explains to his disciples is his kingdom is not about our response to him, but about his pursuit of us. His kingdom is that in us, his creation, you and me, he has found such a great treasure that he would give everything for us. He continues with another parable. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you, ever, have you understood all these things, they said to him? Yes. And he said to them, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. As Jesus is teaching about this kingdom, he uses a series of stories to say, this kingdom I am now declaring to you is like this merchant who finds one pearl and sells everything to get it. 
like this fisherman who throws his nets and gets this huge harvest. He's not worried about the good or the bad fish. He just brings them all in together, every one of them, and he'll sort it out later. And for many, this idea of God's kingdom like this was wildly offensive. God's kingdom is not about reaching all people. It's about those who are righteous or those who are good or those whose lives have been transformed. That's what his kingdom's about, or so they thought. And so as Jesus teaches about his kingdom, as he demonstrates it in the lives of people, their responses begin to grow distant. Where some say, we don't want a kingdom where everybody's included or brought in. We don't want a kingdom that is like this. We want a kingdom that we can see and we can touch, that physically removes the people that are in power that we don't like or that don't like us. We want something altogether different. And after this, the next six chapters, 14 through 20, he begins to address their differing expectations. How some believed this coming Messiah would bring about great military victory. When God comes, there will be no more suffering or sorrow or pain. When He comes, these evil Romans will be gone. When He comes, there will be great might. But instead, Jesus, as He preaches about this kingdom, reveals to them that it's altogether backwards. The kingdom's not about this victorious king who comes, but this suffering servant who dies. The kingdom's not all about this great and glorious moment where everything is perfect, but about a God who would become nothing for you and me. This was really offensive even to some of his very own followers. And so we'll flip ahead a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 16, and we see Peter really bothered by this. In chapter 16, verse 21, Peter is speaking directly with Jesus, and it says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, if you had given your life, three years of your life, you abandoned everything to follow this man who you thought was coming in great military victory, who was going to overthrow the king and sit on the throne, if you'd given everything and he says, I am going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die, would you be excited? Peter, he hears these words that he's going to suffer many things and he's going to die, and in verse 22, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. Surely you can't be the suffering servant. You have to be victorious. Surely you can't die because nobody dies and comes back. We know the end. If you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And Jesus, he looks at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, as Jesus in Matthew portrays this kingdom of God, what we expect him to be like is nothing like he really is. He says the things of God see that his kingdom is altogether different and better than anything we could hope for. Peter has the boldness to say, you are far from God right now. You're wrong. This can't be the case. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. 
This is not of God. See, the truth is, it's really hard for you and me to be okay with a God and a king who suffers. It's really difficult to consider this candle we extinguish, that this light of the world is because of our sinfulness and our brokenness and the times in which we have walked away from God and rejected Him. It's really hard to imagine a God who would lay down everything for me. The story continues then with this clash of two kingdoms. In the final section of five, imitating that of Moses' Torah, the first five books of the Bible, this final section of five then here in the middle of the story is the kingdom of this world against the kingdom of God, where the religious leaders and the crowds and everybody around begin to turn against Jesus. Your kingdom, one in which God would suffer for us, that's not what we're looking for. And they begin to plot and plan to put him to death, ultimately fulfilling exactly what he said was going to happen. But the gospel doesn't end with these two kingdoms clashing. It ends in this glorious surprise ending. Just as he said he would, he was killed. And just as he said he would, he rises from the dead. And here's the really incredible thing there in the last three chapters of Matthew, as Matthew portrays his death and his crucifixion, there's this profound reality that his very disciples didn't see it coming. And they're weeping and they're mourning for he is dead. But then he rises as he said he would. And he appears to them as he said he would. And the story now comes to its close for Matthew with the profound moment with Jesus and his disciples. Here's what happens in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus comes to them. He appears after his resurrection and he begins to speak. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're looking upon this resurrected man and they're going, how can this be? Who can rise from the dead? Are our eyes deceiving us? Have we been tricked? But some doubted. And then Jesus gives this spectacular promise. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This story of Matthew ends with this king who suffers and dies and then conquers even death. And he comes to his people and gives them a purpose. He says, all authority has been given to me. Because I am the king over everything, I reign and I rule and I have all authority. Let me give you a purpose. Go and make disciples. Go and tell the whole world of this good news that I have overcome even death and this kingdom is here. See, for Matthew, the way he ends his story 
is that God's kingdom is still here with us today, tomorrow, and every day. So when we're hurting in need of healing, His kingdom is still here. Jesus, the suffering servant, still reigns and comes to bring us healing in our time of hurt. When we're suffering and God feels far away, we can be reminded of a God who suffered for us, that He might be with us. When we're wandering through life with a sense of aimless purpose, what am I doing or where do I go or what's next? We can be reminded of a king who's come and given us a great purpose. Go and tell the world. Behold, I'm with you. Whatever may come, whatever you walk through, however hard it may get, behold, I'm with you. It'll be okay. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that though our expectations are for a God who comes in power and might, God, you've flipped it all upside down. You've come not in power and might, but in humility, suffering, dying, that we might live. God, we thank you that your kingdom is still here. When it looks like this world seems to be winning, when it looks like you are far off, when it looks like we are weak and powerless, God, you have all authority over that which is hurting and broken and sinful. God, you've given us purpose to go into this world to share this great news that your kingdom is sacrificial. That your kingdom loves those who are otherwise far from you. That your kingdom is those who feel like you have left them. That your kingdom is for those who have nothing of their own to give or to gain. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done in us as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship now this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. We have popcorn buckets in the back corners, an ode to the movie theater we used to be at uh, before we started gathering in this space. If you're somebody who prefers to give with cash or check and you came prepared to give that way, or if you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray for you or um, an opportunity to connect with you, you can place those in the buckets as you leave today. Now, if you're somebody who came prepared to give but prefer to give electronically, uh, we, you can give today online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Uh, a quick note, about a month ago I mentioned we were making a little change administratively that was going to be really good long-term and saving some money for the church. And one of those changes was that in any electronic gift that you give via your bank withdrawal, uh, starting soon, I said, would cost a quarter for the transaction. I learned this week that that officially started this last Friday. So if you came prepared to give electronically and you give via a bank withdrawal or a check online, uh, that will cost you a quarter, and for that, I apologize. Uh, but I want to let you know that change has now officially happened. So however you came prepared to give or whatever you're ready to give, know this. We don't give to get God's love but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, every week, we invite you to text in questions, and this is the part of the service where I do my best to respond. And I saw quite a few people texting during the message, so either we have a bunch of questions or you were not listening. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> Uh, 
Neither. Okay, cool. We actually have like a handful of things texted in, but only one specific question. Okay. Um, do you want like some announcements first or a question? Go for it. Announcements first. Okay. One, it's not too late to join the women's Bible study on Esther. We are beginning today and have lunch and study materials available. Join us in the tap room, which is right up there. Behind uh, the <laughs> By 12. Is Deanna here? She's right there. Deanna's going to be leading that, and she's super rad. So if you are a female person, Sorry, you should guys. do that today. Uh, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Another one. Reminder, we have youth today. Gather in the courtyard, which is right there, for pizza and discussion. All youth and parents, fifth grade to twelfth grade, are welcome. Um, a phone was left at the coffee table this morning. Please see Michelle. Michelle. That's Nicole's phone right over here. Oh, She's the okay, we got you. Free phone. Congratulations. All right. And okay, now we have a question. <laughs> Thanks for rolling through those with me. If the first four books of the New Testament are Gospels, what are the other books in the New Testament considered? Bad news? Haha, <laughs> bad joke, serious question. I like they the said joke. that, I not me. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I like the joke and serious question. So the reason it's called a Gospel is uh, at the time, anytime the Roman king would change, they would come gospeling people, announcing this good news. Hey, look at this new king. He'll bring you peace and prosperity and blessing. And unfortunately, time and time again, he would not. He'd bring all kinds of hardship and pain. And so these are gospels because it was the same thing. It was an announcement of this good news. And they were based mostly, as you'll find in weeks to come, not entirely, on direct eyewitness accounts. So the difference between those four books versus the rest of the New Testament is most of the rest of the New Testament is a letter written from somebody in leadership in the church to other people in the church, which is a little different than an eyewitness account of here's the life of Jesus as we know it. Sweet. Um, one more um comment, and then we actually have a, a prayer request that was texted in. So the, the comment is... Um, Holy cow, <laughs> if you only knew how many times a day I say, get behind me, Satan. I feel like I always make the wrong decisions. I chose not to come this morning because I didn't feel great. I thought, no biggie, I'll watch it and it'll be okay. Now I'm in tears because my pain cannot compare to the pain Jesus felt. I feel like I let sin and w Satan win again and I'm ashamed. Great sermon, Adam. Well, thank you. So I feel like we can add that to the prayer request, actually. Yeah. So as somebody coming on live stream, let me just tell you, you are loved and you are forgiven, and Christ died for you just as he died for me. So Amen. walk in that grace and that forgiveness, all right? Also, okay, this is the last one that we have today. Please keep the Green family in your prayers today. My grandmother's funeral is this afternoon. Yeah, can we, we'll just pray for that real quick. Were there yeah. any other things that came in? That is everything. Every week you can text in questions. If you text them in throughout the week, I may see them midweek and respond on Facebook, or I may uh, wait and save them for next week's Sunday. Um, so you're always welcome at any time to text something in. And sometimes I get a real doozy, I'll pass off to the other Adam and let him handle. So <laughs> with that, before we're the benediction, let's just pray together and go from there. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Green family today as they grieve the loss of their grandmother. We pray for peace and strength. We thank you that you have conquered death, that you have given us new life, and that even as we grieve, we can grieve with those who have great hope. 
a comfort that comes from knowing a God who is with us, who is for us, and who will one day bring new life to each one of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, as you go today, go with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.